Welcome aboard Imagination Skyway, your grand podcast tour of the magic. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and in today's episode, we are going to discuss some of our favorite stories about Walt Disney at Disneyland, including his inspiration for starting the park, his impact on its development and changes, his work with Imagineers and Disney executives, his thoughts on Disneyland as a business, and his legacy decades later. When it comes to Disney fandom, there might be no other topic quite as emotional or inspirational as talking about Walt himself, and I sincerely hope you enjoy this incredibly reverential two-part conversation about the man who started it all. At the end of the show, we'll return to Imagination Central, where I'll share ways in which you can stay connected with Imagination Skyway, how you can discuss this topic with other members of our listener community, and how you can help support and inspire the future of this show. Please remain seated, keep your hands and arms inside the podcast at all times, and enjoy your grand circle tour aboard Imagination Skyway. One of the most frequently requested topics on this podcast, especially from real Disney geeks out there, is for us to talk more about Walt Disney himself. And I've been waiting for the right opportunity, and you'll hear in a second, the right guests to share this topic with me. And today's episode is going to specifically focus on a few of our favorite stories involving Walt Disney at Disneyland. We're going to jump into that in a minute, but I first want to introduce and reintroduce our guests on today's episode. First, want to welcome back Philander Butler. How are you, sir? I am wonderful and excited to be here to talk Walt. I am very excited. We talk Walt lots, but not on the podcast. So great to have you back. And it new first-time guest on this podcast, and hopefully will not be the last, is a fellow Disney podcaster and Disney geek, Kelly Washington, who hosts Slice of Disney. How are you, Kelly? I am wonderful. How are you? I am great. So happy to finally get you on the show. We've been talking about it for months. So I know. We've been going back and forth, geeking out about random things. So Yes. (laughs) And here we are. So this should be a lot of fun. But as I primed Kelly before we started, because you are new to the show, I, of course, have to ask you some rapid fire Disney fan questions just so that the listeners can learn a little bit more about your Disney fandom. And I want to start with your favorite Disney park. This is already too difficult for me. Um, This is how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go with Epcot right now. I love that answer. It's it's great. I have loved Epcot since the time I was a kid, and it's the most common answer that I get on the show, too. So you're in good company. That's because you surround yourself with Disney nerds, and that's, Disney nerds love Epcot. That's true. <laughs> that's that's incredibly true. Uh, 
I guess if that one was hard, this one's probably going to be even more challenging. Do you have a favorite Disney attraction? Either Haunted you know, Mansion. Okay, good. It was an easy answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I have a strange obsession. You can't see it because my screen is blurred out. And if you're listening to a podcast, you probably can't see because you're listening. Um, but I have like a whole shrine, like really deep dive obsessed with Haunted Mansion. The best. I Just love that. I love that. It's one of the oldest episodes of the show that I've done. It's episode, I think, 52 or 47. It's somewhere around there. I'm almost up to 200. Still the most popular episode of the show. So again, you're in good company. I think I, so, so far on Slice of Disney, I think I've done five episodes on Haunted Mansion and um, where I am in the history is Walt just passed. It's the only attraction where I go way too detailed. And I was kind of like, someone has to let me do this. I have to share all this knowledge in my head. Like I did, I don't know, you know, world history, but I know Haunted Mansion history. <laughs> you know, it's one of the few attractions that has an entire book devoted to it. So there's something to be said about the lore that comes with the Haunted Mansion. Yes, and I Walt's involvement. Yes. And Walt's involvement. Yes, it's it's so true. All right. We're, we're, I'm excited about the stories we're going to share. I've got two more for you. And maybe we're going to jump now to the studio side. So we start with the parks. We're going to move to the studios. Do you have a favorite Disney film? I have many. I'm going to give a cliche answer, but I love Lion King. That's my answer. Um, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's my answer all the time. <laughs> and I would. And my other one that I, I just love so much is Coco. Mm. Excellent answer. I love Coco. I we're we're doing a, one of the series I've been doing um, with my frequent guests. We were talking about just before the we hit record is um, be going through the deep dive on the music of the various decades in Disney history. And then we jumped over to Pixar recently and my cousin, Mike and I, who's, who's my co-host for those episodes, we're talking about how excited we are to just get to more recent Pixar films to get to talk about Coco because of the music in that film. It's, it's so good. It's amazing. And last question for you, favorite Disney character. Tinkerbell. I wonder Great. why. <laughs> <laughs> She's love small it. and sweet, but feisty. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent answer. I love it. Well, see, that wasn't so hard. I think the first question was maybe the hardest one, but you really had quick answers to all of those. So <laughs> you certainly know the answers and you know your Disney fandom. Um, so, you know, this is a topic that, again, I've been very excited to dive into we're testing this format and it's just going to be a story-filled episode i hope that the listeners are excited to hear more about walt and i figured this was a great place to start we could have started with his upbringing we could have started with his initial years in hollywood or so many other eras throughout his his history his life but there's something very special about his involvement in disneyland while he has had a hand in Walt Disney World and in Disneyland. His involvement in Disneyland is, of course, much richer. This was a place that he literally walked. I know he also technically walked on property at Walt Disney World, but that when the parks were completed. So this was a place that you can really feel Walt's presence, Walt's hand in development of the attractions. It's a place that he went and visited. So there's something very special about that. So today's just going to be filled with some fun stories about his involvement at Disneyland and because Kelly is a new guest, I'm going to start with you. You could go in 
any order that you want for your first story. But what was one story that came to mind about Walt and Walt being at Disneyland? There are there are so many. I wasn't expecting you to start with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like to throw people off right from the beginning. <laughs> lo- yeah, <laughs> we want real authentic honesty on this podcast. Um I'm going to start with the Haunted Mansion because I, as I just said, you know, mm-hmm. my, my heart is there. And so one of my, my favorite, it's, it would be a long story of just idea of the parks in general. Right. And him being there, which is also, I always said, if I like, if I'm probably when I changed my podcast name, I just want to call it like Walt Love Trains. Um, and I know that it starts with the train, but it also kind of starts with the haunted house and his like initial Burbank park idea of just like, we are, th- there's going to be all this stuff and there's going to be a haunted house and all these initial drawings of Disneyland. And there's this spooky house in the corner. Didn't know what it was going to be. And that reminds me a lot of Walt and the way he invented, but really would collaborate with other people. I have this idea, but I'm going to put it on you to figure it out, but there is going to be a haunted house. <laughs> And um, and just all of the evolutions and different people he paired together and Imagineers he put together. And I think you see the genius that he is and a little crazy and cuckoo as well um, in the Haunted Mansion of the. We are going to go through so many different ideas and I'm giving these people that I trust. I'm not the genius here that can come up with the gags. I'm not the genius who's going to come up with the story. But I'm going to put the people who I trust together to do so. I'm going to give you free reign. Here's an entire floor, you know, uh, in a studio to just play. And I don't think a lot of CEOs or companies, leadership think like that anymore. And I, that's the part of Walt that I love so much um, that I'm always inspired by in my like own line of work of like, what can I do to give people who are so much more skilled to teach me or, you know, work with me, collaborate. Um, so I think that would be a favorite Walt story because it, I think, embodies who he is. Yeah, there's a lot of ways we could jump off of that, too. There is something to be said about the way that he did just not only bring people together who had known talents, bringing together for Honda Mansion, Claude Coates, and Mark Davis, who in many ways countered each other in ideas, but came up with something brilliant, but then also reaching out and helping people tap into talents unrelated to their direct line of work. I think a famous one is Blaine Gibson. Not really, he had sculpted, he was he was a, a sculpting enthusiast, but he wasn't officially developing any type of sculptures for Disney. And then Walt came to him and said he wanted him to start. I'm trying to remember which initial project he had him working on. Maybe one of you guys remember, but um, having him develop sculptures for attractions and that ended up becoming audio animatronic figures and even Xavier Atensu as well, who didn't know how to write a song. Yeah. (laughs) And he's just like, hey, so like um, we're going to do this like pirate thing. Just just do it. Just you got it. And he's like, (laughs) are are you kidding? And of course, now you have two of the most iconic theme park songs of all time, you know, Yo-Ho, Yo-Ho, Pirate's Life for Me and Grim Gritting Ghosts that like, what? I couldn't do that. 
No, not at all. So I, I love that. And the fact that you're right, that there was this initial idea for a haunted house. And originally that was going to be an extension of Main Street USA. And it's really interesting to think about what that would have been like in setting and logistically thinking about a, a haunted house attraction off of Main Street USA. It would have been really interesting to see that. I think it ended up in a perfect home in New Orleans Square and then Liberty Square, Walt Disney World and other lands at the international parks. But um, yeah, it's the development. We could literally, to your point, you have five episodes about it so far, spend an entire episode just talking <laughs> about Haunted Mansion stories because of how much there is to it. And it's a great place for us to to get started. Um, Philander, I'll jump to you. Any any stories that either piggyback off of that one or you want to take things in a different direction, we can do that as well. No, I have to say uh, great minds think alike because one of mine was Walt's absolute incredible innate ability in getting talent. You know, that's literally uh, one of my my number seven is, and that was a great way of bringing up Haunted Mansion for it. Uh, but just being able to just seek out talent and have put you into positions to do things that you never even thought that you were capable of doing, you know, the story of X, you know, working on those attractions is a perfect example where I love him um, bringing in the Sherman brothers and showing them his plans for the Tiki room and them saying, Oh, that's great. And then he's like, okay, you all are going to write a song for it. And they're like, what? <laughs> 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 he's like, Oh, this is great. Well, like he, that I love that he brings them in to look at it first. Like, it's not like, Hey, I want you to come to work on a project. I'm going to show it to you first and then tell you now that's your job to create something for it. Um, and I love that. Or even the fact that we brought up Narc Davis, um, that despite the fact that his talent and animation is, you know, cannot be understated that he was the only one of the nine old men to be moved from, from animation to, the parks like you'd think that any one of them theoretically could work in the park side but walt specifically saw something in mark of the nine of them and said okay you're going to be an imagineer now and work on theme park attractions you know that is so fascinating to me um because i when i speak about the nine old men mark is always especially because i'm you know i'm always at the park in disneyland the fact that it's only Mark, you know, that went and that his, you know, his ability to create the gag or, you know, his his concepts for, you know, funny moments or uh, uh, great vignettes or, or scenes that show like a fun moment like that to get that kind of talent and to be completely unaware. Um, and we use that a lot when we talk at the parks about, you know, even though you think you're not necessarily prepared for something, um, you may have some kind of talent that no one else seen. I love that you pointed out that, you know, that's something that wouldn't happen nowadays. You know, so many things are structured when it comes to creativity and just to allow people to play um, and to just develop, you know, unfettered, you know, what you could come up with, you know, we just allow that. And I think there's a lot of that people are just a, a thing that they're scared about now because, you know, maybe time or money is, doesn't allow those things, but there's, there's so many, individuals within the Disney company and elsewhere that have this untapped talent and learning from Walt to be able to trust, you know, put the trust into people and to believe in their abilities, even if they didn't think that was the case, you know, that story about X is legendary of creating those songs, you know, mm -hmm. even though that was not his initial, you know, he started as an animator and now you're, you know, you're writing a song, you're writing script, you know? Um, so that's like such a great jumping point off because 
that was a big one for me of highlighting just that ability, you know, and to do it without fear, you know, like you're going to do this thing. Or, I mean, even Walt, uh, telling Herb about Disneyland and then saying, you're going to, you're going to draw it now. He's like, what are you talking to that, that incredible story of that lost weekend of the two of them working together, but just him knowing that Herb would, of course, Herb could do it. I'm just, I just got to get him to do it. And then essentially creating that concept, giving it to Roy and the rest is history of, you know, Roy taking that, that amazing picture of the park and getting the money necessary from the banks, like just amazing stuff. Yeah, there's there's a lot to to go off of here. There's each each one of you had mentioned things that relate to a couple of the stories that I had written down as well. And the one that I, I there was one that literally just slipped my head, so I'm going to have to come back to it later, but uh you talked about the Enchanted Tiki Room mm-hmm. and the development of that and that also tied into a theme that actually relates to what Kelly had mentioned about Walt's finding people who had the right talents to come up with the ideas that he just had some initial concepts for, and maybe they could do an even better job of crafting what that attraction is going to end up like. And the the Sherman brothers are one of the examples I had with the Enchanted Tiki Room of, I've told the story on the show before when we talked about the Enchanted Tiki Room, that he brought them into this early concept for what the ride looked like. And they saw birds, you know, singing and they were asking, well, what is it? You know, this is a great Walt, but what is it? And then Walt's like, well, you're going to write me a song to explain all of this. And then there they go writing the enchanted, you know, the Tiki 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 room, which that explained what this room is. It explains what the attraction is so that he brought them in to help figure out what this story is. It's like the attractions didn't have a grand design. Um, before they started creating them, but they ended up being created as the ideas were coming and flowing in a, that sense of play. But the the uh, the theme that I was thinking about here was that Walt would often come up with an idea, but then his team of Imagineers or someone else would come up with an even better idea. And he had the self-confidence or the 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 focus on just creating the best product possible to say you know what yeah that is that is a better idea so his initial idea for the enchanted tiki room was to create a restaurant where guests would go and see live birds above them <laughs> and john hench said you know what that's probably not a great idea to have live birds <laughs> above guests eating and walt agreeing with that and he had already lined up a potential sponsor for it stofers to sponsor this restaurant, which obviously would be a great source of revenue for the attraction and saying, you're right, that's probably not the best idea for this. And then pivoting for it to be instead of live birds, incorporating that with an idea. Um, we had discovered this mechanical bird in a gift shop and thinking this could be something we can incorporate and have fake birds instead. Um, and that resulting in the first audio animatronic figures and look at where we are today with audio animatronic figures. But I think Walt also had this ability to, with a lot of attractions, come up with that initial concept, maybe go one way, but then have his team pivot somewhere else and him realize that, you know what, that really is a better direction for us to go with this attraction. So the Enchanted Tiki Room, there's a few examples, but the Enchanted Tiki Room was one that I had written down as an example of Walt just 
letting the ideas go even beyond what he initially thought. I, you're making my wheels turn in like a million directions. Um, I, I'm doing the same thing. I'm like, oh, I could go this way. I could go this way. I could go this way. I have like, this story, this story. <laughs> I feel ill-prepared now uh, because I'm like, I have this and that. Um, but in, in that, um, and all of this to me is like, it's, we were saying before we were on air about like the lore of Walt, you know, there's so many different stories, but, the, and so you, the ones that are important to me are the ones that come straight from the horse's mouth. Um, and I think Rolly Crump is that, you know, of like so many beautiful stories of, I don't know, with the Enchanted Tiki Room. Well, yeah, of course you're going to just carve some, some figures. Excuse you? Like, <laughs> I don't know how to do that. And then, you know, and the idea, this is in my version of, in my head of what it must have been like, he came up with all these wacky, crazy things. He was thinking outside of the box, even at Imagineering. And I feel like he was bullied. Who knows? Like, that's my, those are my words for it. And Walt going, no, this is genius. And everyone going, what? Oh, yeah, we thought so, too. Just kidding. <laughs> Being an advocate and letting people's minds just go. You know, and him being like, this stuff is really weird that you're coming up with, you know, for the Haunted Mansion or, you know, yeah, of course, we're going to make this like, I'm going to have you make this crazy large figure for the World's Fair for It's a Small World. And then him being like, I hate it. And while being like, I don't care. I spent a lot of my own personal money on it. You're going to love it. Just <laughs> it humanizes this person that he would walk around the parks. Can you imagine Taylor Swift walking around Disney with no protection? Like it would be, it'd be hard to do today in today's day and age. Any celebrity walking around is, is mm -hmm. challenging unless yeah. you're in complete disguise. Yeah. And I feel that he was so human in a world that I can't imagine that happening today. Yeah. That reminds me, uh, for, I, I want to hear if Philander has another one, but when I spoke to, I'm pretty sure it was Bob Gurr's story he talked about meeting Walt for the first time and Walt was just hanging out with a bunch of animators outside in the lot and they introduced Bob to Walt, but Bob didn't realize that was Walt Disney just because he was, he was just there. Like he was just hanging out with the crew. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, in his office with the door closed. He was just one of them. He was truly, that was the way that he felt was yes, he was leading this enterprise and that came with a lot of responsibility, but he was at the end of the day, just one of the animators, one of the Imagineers, um, you know, one of the staff just trying to create something for the public that was going to be incredible to see that he personally would want to see as a moviegoer or as a eventually uh, a Disneyland guest. So um, it really does tap into that. Um, I, I have so many directions i have to i have to sit here and think about where i want to go next but philander any other uh any other stories on your list that you're excited to share i'm bouncing off and i think we're going to be doing this the whole time it's yeah this is this is what i thought we'd start with our lists and then say oh no 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 wait wait i gotta go this way i gotta go this way but i wrote um just the fact and i think obviously this is brought up so many times about walt being only truly around for disneyland and and it's not one story but just the fact that um, as Kelly was mentioning, that he was 
we we have pictures of him existing in the space, walking through it, riding the attractions and how special that is, because he looked at that place far different from anyone who runs the company now. You know, if you have like a Josh Dumar or Bob Iger or Michael Eisner, because this was a dream, this was a, um, a, 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 a passion project and it truly was a playground for him. So when you get these pictures of him riding on the Matterhorn or on the train, there's such a joy in it because it wasn't a business venture. Like this was a, a, a thing that he wanted, you know, deeply, you know, to have not only for, from the idea uh, coming from his, you know, with his daughters, but just something that, that was for the world, you know, and him moving from an animation space, you know, into creating it in a physical form that you can actively experience. And I love that we have all of these, stories of him walking the parks and actually, you know, he would stand in lines for things. He would purchase popcorn from stands. He would get on attractions and that becomes so important now. And I, I notice it a lot now when we, when we talk about the development of other theme parks or when Disney builds a new land or a new park or a new show, because a lot of those things now are manufactured. And I think it's, and not necessarily that's a bad thing, but there is such a special quality to Disneyland because Walt walked through it um, that they are things that we just won't do again. Like you can tell that that park was designed purely from his brain and the brain of the brains of the intelligent Imagineers. But there are things that are in Disneyland because he walked them that we just won't do them anymore. I bring up New Orleans Square a lot, not only because it houses my favorite attraction, but it is also my favorite theme park land. But the way even New Orleans is structured with its tight corridors and turns, like we will never make anything that small again. Like that's just not going to happen. They will be, they will be, you know, big walkways to handle all the crowds and they will be, you know, um, you know, large pathways, but those are only designed now because, you know, we know that we need them when Walt just wanted it this way because that's the way he wanted it. And that would never have happened if he wasn't actively walking the parks and making adjustments on the fly or being a part of the initial design process. So many things now are created because we have learned, you know, I even think of Shanghai Disneyland, which is obviously our youngest park, but that was designed and built off of 60 plus years of learning how to do it, which Disneyland, obviously they were pioneers. They had no, there was, there was no, nothing to really base it off of other than like small things that Walt picked up from, you know, Tivoli or going to Knott's or things like that. But I love that it, there's such a special nature associated with that park and that he was able to make those adjustments on the fly. You know, there's stories of him, you know, saying, I don't like that tree, move it 10 feet that way, or move this thing to the right and all that, like, you know, or, you know, him saying, I want a mountain. And now the mountain battle, you know, comes like this, this little things like that. And I, I appreciate all the time we get these photos of him in the park, um, walking around, or there's individual stories. I have a few that I'm going to get to later of the fact that he was just happened to be there in the park and wanted to make an adjustment. Um, and that's, I think, where the true heart of Disneyland lies is that you get this pure, pure from the brain of Walt to Disneyland that, you know, it gets lost a little transition, you know, with Magic Kingdom, you know, the bigger Main Street. Of course, it's bigger. It's got to be for more people, you know, little things like that. But I like that, you know, so much can be uh, connected to these individual lands and experiences based on the fact that he actively was there.
Kelly, you were jumping in your seat, so I feel like you wanted to add to that. But <laughs> so many things. This is my dream. Can we do this every week? Um, <laughs> we sure um, can. So, uh, like, you made me almost cry. Honestly, Philander, that was beautiful. Um, I I have a favorite quote that Walt Disney says, where he says, "There is nothing like it in the entire world." I know because I've looked. <laughs> That's why it can be great because it will be unique, and. In in true honesty, what you said, it's Walt invented theme parks. There was amusement parks and they were honestly kind of dying at the time. You know, um, Coney Island was not Coney Island anymore. And he he really like had this idea of a safe place where people could come. And I think one of the things that it is because he walked to the parks is the reason you don't see trash all over the place. You know, I know we love to show the pictures online of the trash can that's full and whatever. But let's be real. That is a Six Flags comparatively could never like <laughs> I I am so I don't even go to ride rides. I, you know, I do not work at Disney, but I go once a week at least. And sometimes I just go sit. And I think that's because of Walt. He made a place where you just want to be at the public park that feels safe and beautiful and you can take in so much imagination and freedom. And um, oh, I tell people, because everyone is like, why do you love Disney so much? And, you know, yes, I'm a big kid, but it's truly because it's where I feel I can be myself, my authentic self. And I can feel deeply and I can get excited and I can cry and I can laugh. And I think that's all because of the impact of the people who created it. It's very true. Uh, I have definitely spent days in the parks without riding a single attraction. Those are sometimes my favorite days are just walking around, like Kelly mentioned, sitting on a park bench and watching the day go by. I tell people, most of the listeners of the show, are have only been to Walt Disney Worlds. They either are on the East Coast or they're Florida locals and haven't taken the trip to Disneyland. But I always tell people, you really, if you if you call yourself a Disney fan, you really need to at least make the effort to go once because there is. It's really hard to describe. You look at the map; it looks just like the Magic Kingdom with some differences here or there. Yes, Adventureland's a little bit more down by the down by main street and you have new orleans square you don't have liberty square and but you know and tomorrowland's still over here but there's something kinetic about being at disneyland that you just don't get at the magic kingdom and i think that has a lot to do with walt and the way that they've maintained this balance between keeping it fresh but also it almost feels like when you walk down main street usa you're still in 1955 just the way that it's been maintained and so i love that charming element of you still can see walt's impact um i i want to not counter but add what i think is a really ironic element to walt's personality or to his way of approaching disneyland is that you know both of you talk about it not being about the business 
But the ironic part of it is Walt was a genius <laughs> businessman. Like he was, he was a genius. Oh, yes. <laughs> like it might not have been for the business, but in some weird way, maybe it was because of that, but it ended up being, I look at what it is today and how far it grew beyond what he initially started with. But, and I think a lot of that had to do with, and I think this is something that I, I only hope will continue with leadership. We saw it reemerge with Michael Eisner and Frank Wells, but this balance between creativity and the financial side of it too. And Roy always being there for Walt to say, look, I love these ideas, but someone's got to pay for them. We have to make sure like we can't totally tank this entire enterprise because of this idea. <laughs> so just the fact that one of the ideas I was, I, I, one of the stories I wrote down on my list was the fact that there was this incredible opportunity with the 1964 World's Fair to test out new attractions paid for by sponsors, 100% just, Walt, we want you to help build it, but we'll pay for it. And if it works, you can bring it back to Disneyland. And using that as a testing ground for things like, I just did a, a, a love letter to what I think is the most, one of the most underrated attractions at Disneyland, which is It's a Small World, um, because of its impact, because of how much it has done for the theme park industry and specifically for Disneyland, it's a small world tested out the concept of a brand new type of boat ride attraction, dark ride attraction that if not for it's a small world, Pirates of the Caribbean would be a walk through wax museum. Like, so if you love Pirates of the Caribbean, you kind of have to thank it's a small world for testing this out, but that was all done at the 1964 world's fair paid for by a sponsor paid for by PepsiCo. And that was an even better attraction done for a nonprofit for UNICEF. So there's like, there's so much with It's a Small World, but then testing out, they had already worked with audio animatronics for the Enchanted Tiki Room, but now can we make lifelike human figures with Abraham Lincoln at a small testing version of Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln and with the Carousel of Progress and trying out this new theater system that Walt came up with. So there was always this, it could have been Roy whispering in his ear or, or shouting at him, you know, cause I know they got into some arguments too, but there was always this, while it was always for the creativity, it was always for the public. It was always for the benefit of creating something that he wanted personally to create to better the world. It was still done in a way that made sure that the business continued to grow, that they could bring more people into this industry to create this and and, and continue this mission and this vision um, and deliver more happiness to more people. Um, so it's just ironic how he might've gone in not thinking it, but he ended up being like one of the most celebrated entrepreneurs <laughs> in American history. So, um, there's something to be said about that. I love that. That's a class. I know that's, uh, that's going to go into another one I have coming up. So <laughs> do you, uh, we'll, we'll reverse order a little bit. Do you want to go Philander to whatever you were just thinking? Well, um, it's that biz cause, um, it's a connection to your thing about, that purity of Disneyland, where it's not necessarily a business venture, but it becomes one of the world's greatest business ventures. But it's a thing that comes up with Walt a lot when people, um, or not necessarily Walt, but just Disney in general, when people talk about money associated with and the cost of things. And I, I challenge people all the time when I talk about the money that's associated with the Disney trip or an experience about how it's not necessarily the cost, it's what you get from the cost. And that is, so I, I highlight Walt a lot because of course, back when he was around, he had to 
raise prices, you know, and I know that's always a, a big thing when people have, you know, when the price goes up for the tickets, you know, and everyone always gets upset. It happens. It's such a cyclical thing every year where oh, it's that time of year and there goes the prices and then everyone gets mad for a few minutes. But then every year Disney's attendance goes up. So it's like uh, <laughs> annual passes sell out the first day <laughs> in, in a single day. So but I love it because there there's a lot of quotes associated specifically with Walt where it talks about the importance and value associated with the experience and how the money should match that. And in theory, you know, obviously it does because people continue to come back. But I wanted to read out these quotes and I'm happy that you brought it up because it connects so well with literally everything we've been talking about today. And I didn't want to like um, get them wrong. So I want to make sure I read it. But it's all associated with Walt making sure that the quality always matched the the, the the price and that no matter when uh you know no matter what you paid when you came to Disneyland that you had a great time so one of them was from Walt being with Dick Nunes at the ticket booths and you know the operations team and Dick Nunes were talking to Walt about the cost associated and Walt told him look there's, let's not be concerned when a guest comes to the gate and says why do I have to pay this much to get in? Let's be concerned with two things when they leave. Number one, did they have fun? And number two, did they receive their value? Because people will pay for quality. And I I love it so much because, you know, as you know, with Roy, you like this stuff, obviously, especially now with things like Cars Land and Pandora and Rise of the Resistance is just, you know, and I know Disney doesn't necessarily share figures for money all the time, but they are clearly expensive <laughs> by looking at them. And... <laughs> And making sure that when you pay to come in, you know, even if it's happened, it's hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, that you leave feeling like your money was well spent. You know, matter no matter what the cost. Because I mentioned that Disneyland was always expensive, technically. You know, well, whether even though it was only a dollar when you first got in at the time period, that was that could be a lot of money. Or even the cost of people flying, which now is such a more simpler thing to do, flying your whole family across country to go to California, like that was a that was not a inexpensive, you know, venture or another quote from Walt saying, I don't care what guests think about how much they pay when they came in. I care what they think when they leave. There might be some sticker shock, but they're going to have such a great experience all around at Disneyland. They're going to be grateful. So all of those are so attached to the business aspect, which I think a lot of people put so much more on Roy that, but as you mentioned, Matt, like that's also still a Walt thing where he understood that to get the money to pay for these things, we have to raise prices. But as long as the quality remains, that is always and will always be what's most important. You are ringing true, Philander. I talk about this stuff all the time. And I think we're all kind of guilty of it, too. Like we we intrinsically know because we're the ones who keep going back. <laughs> and I think it's probably the it, it probably is the area of my life um, other than the basic stuff, like as far as secondary expenses that are not necessarily a necessity um, <laughs> that I spend my more of my money on than anything else is uh, is Disney. Um, Kelly, I'll go to you next. I skipped you. I went back to Philander. So no, please. Uh, yeah. What other what other stories do you want to share? Well, we're on the I feel like we're on a kick of money and sponsors. So let's talk. All right, about let's it. go. Um, so. We're sticking with, you know, the positive parts of Walt. Uh, and I and I always joke that I'm not a Walt worshiper. Um, like, but I love Disney and I and I love uh I love the beginning story. And that's why when you're like, what's your favorite theme park? 
also Animal Kingdom, but I love Disneyland because I love history and I love like creation and, you know, it, well, combining with creativity. And in speaking of <laughs> Walt's genius of how to, how do I make money while also spending so much money and the world's <laughs> fair, you know, 1964 really is like such an amazing story. And even down to like, Club 33, you know, part of the rumor is that Club 33 is 33 sponsors. Who knows, right? Like, I maybe actually you guys might know. I don't know the real answer. I'm not going to ask Philander to share <laughs> if he knows, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, per Marty Sklar, you know, Marty Marty, um, it is just the address. But obviously there are all those, because it's 33 Royal Street, or the original address is 33 Royal Street, then it moved, now it's 33 Royal Street to the new door, because Blue Bayou before that was 31 Royal Street. But there's all those like fun stories associated, but per him, uh, <laughs> and I, I go by Marty, yeah, it is, it's just the address. <laughs> I love it. But I do like that there's so much, you know, the, there was there's the wall of the parks, who's with the people and the kids, and helping, you know, the kid get on Autopia or, you know, like you said, riding Matterhorn, whatever it is, just we have pictures and um, have seen the moments, the small moments. But then we have the after hours and don't worry, I won't get into some of my actual favorite stories. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you have the entertaining of the sponsors because there was a duality that he had to live. Um, and I think... It, he's not presenting or putting on a show either. I think they're two authentic parts of him of the after hours of, well, geez, like we don't really care about the kids. We're giving you money. We want a playground of our own. He's like, okay, I hear you. I hear you. Let, how do I make everyone happy? Mm. And, uh, and creating spaces for the people who are giving him the money to create these memorable things. And yeah, we will put your GE everywhere. Like what, what do you need? How do we keep you happy? And uh, having to be the adult and get that money, but then keeping the kids happy during the day, you know? Yeah, I, I love the, the GE, the fact that literally Carousel of Progress is a commercial for General Electric. It's not anymore. It's not sponsored by them, but it was... Oh, you, it's still everywhere. You see where they like, with took GE. off some of it. Yeah. Oh, and, and even... I, I Carousel of Progress is one of my favorite things to discuss and talk about of even just getting, you know... All right, great big beautiful tomorrow. Great song. Well, G gets angry. We don't want that anymore. Fix it. Change it. We want a different song. Okay, fine. Here's a new one. Obviously, this is after Walt's time, but yeah. like, we got to keep them happy because we got to keep the money. And then finally, you know, when they left, they were able to bring back the classic song. But yeah, it, sponsors. It sponsors do a lot for attractions, I, and especially. We're looking now at Test Track getting, I know we're, we're really jumping ahead way past Walt's time, but General General Electric, uh, <laughs> Chevy General sponsoring Motors. Test Track, General Motors um, sponsoring Test Track. And now we're getting the third iteration. And that's because Chevy's like, look, we want to keep investing in this attraction. We want people to keep coming to it. So here's more money to help redo it again. This is another topic that grinds my gears, literally like a car. Um, like, <laughs> like... The why? Why? The first version, I know some people like loved the original um, the world attraction. Of motion. Yes. Unfortunately, I never saw that, but um, it looked cool. 
but we changed that. We spent so much money. Bye. Now we made this amazing, beautiful test track. That's so great. Just kidding. Here's Tron. We don't, we didn't need two Trons. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Well, it wasn't there. We can, let's go back. That's all right. I, I, there's, there's a lot of heated, heated thoughts about test track. (laughs) I know. I feel like they're they're coming they're they're bringing it back with World of Motion. They're trying to do something that's they're they're doing this thing with Epcot overall that I feel is bridging old and new. Um, which again, Epcot was my part. I was the first park I ever went to as a kid. I was four months old. I have loved Epcot since I was a kid. Um, but even by the time I you know twenty seventeen twenty eighteen rolled around, as much as I loved walking through it, I understand like it needs to keep going. Like we can't, we can't constantly live in the past of this park. Um, we need to keep evolving and plussing. And I do like this bridge they're building between old and new. We'll see how it plays out. Um, I want to come full circle. And I mean that in a pun kind of way to what uh, Kelly said in the very beginning, um, not to end it here, but the idea of Walt's loving trains, the fact that you said that you would probably name your rename your podcast having to do with Walt and trains. Literally the first story on my list that I want to come back to is this lifelong theme of Walt and trains. And it has been, (laughs) it has continued to come back even today. Um, But Walt's fascination with trains dates like all the way back to Marceline when Back then, it's, I know train travel isn't quite as exciting now, unless you're in Europe, train travel is pretty amazing. But the, <laughs> the uh, um, back then, if you had some member of the family working on a train, that was a bragging rights. This is oh, this is literally, you know, Walt was born in 1901. This was going back over 100 years now. Um, so in Marceline, he had a uh, uncle, his uncle Mike was an engineer on the Santa Fe accommodation train, that fascination with trains remained. And Roy goes and works on the railroad. Um, and at age 15, convinced, or when Walt was 15, Roy suggests that Walt look to do the same thing. So they're living in Kansas City. Walt then decides to get a job. It was a little short-lived, but on the Kansas City Southern and Missouri Pacific trains, um, selling concessions to passengers. And years later, Walt comes up with the initial idea for Mickey Mouse on a train once again um, from, you know, from Manhattan going back to Hollywood. We all, as Disney fans, know that story. Um, And how it kind of ties back to Disneyland is Walt loses his early childhood interest with trains because he's so busy working on the studio, focused on on animation. And then World War II happens and the studio is in shambles. A lot of his animators are off fighting in World War II. Um, the studio is repurposed. So there's just, it's not the great time for the studio. Walt's feeling a little, you know, under despair, trying to figure out how to get the studio rolling again. And then is reintroduced to his childhood love of trains, decides to go into miniature, I'm giving a very short version of the story, goes into him, <laughs> goes into building, uh, becoming an apprentice, learning how to build a model train set, studies carpentry, studies metalwork, and ends up creating the Carol, what he names the Carolwood Pacific Railroad in his backyard with Lily's approval under certain conditions. Um, <laughs> lots of stories there. <laughs> and uh, 
that eventually finds its way to Disneyland's because Philander talks about that weekend spent with Herb Ryman coming up with the idea for Disneyland. And one of the ideas Walt had was to have a, a train go around the perimeter of Disneyland. That serves eventually, it's going to be serving as the berm of the park. Um, and then, you know, eventually we get the Disneyland Railroad and then, you know, pretty much every Disney Castle Park has some type of railroad. But there's this, I think the moral of the story here is there's something to be said about your earliest childhood passions following you and giving you some direction about what you could do, where you can go. And even though Walt didn't, you know, have it during those early animation years, this this continued um, active passion for trains, the fact that it came back and now it like it ended up in some way finding its way into the model shop and Imagineering and helping him find a new passion of building these physical things that people can go and ride and enjoy that sort of being translated then into the development of Disneyland and literally a manifestation of it with the Disneyland railroad. Um, it's just like a fun story. And, and again, I gave a very short version of what could have been a five hour in-depth you know, discussion about it, but waltz and trains is just a, a common theme that continues today at Disneyland. So I love that. Cause people are always, people always associating Disneyland story with like, you know, Walt and uh, Sharon and Diane at the Griffith park, but the train part is always left out a lot. And like, and you see those, the pictures of him at his home, the Hills home with the Carol Pacific and having people come over and ride it. I was like, you, that's like the, the Genesis right there is he has a testing ground. Home. Yes. But people always associated with Griffith park, which is great, of course. And, building that place for the daughters but the train part is always left out where that was a that is the 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 germ of an idea of like wow people are coming over to my house and they're having fun riding on my train and now i'm gonna make a big train you know people are gonna ride with at disneyland like i love that that associated with the associated with the train because there's so many little things that helped come to form the idea that is disneyland but the train one for whatever reason is always left out it's always left out it's always the focus on the daughters which is great but i love that the train aspect, even with newer trains like Runaway Railway, like we're still building trains. And I love that we have that photo of him at the exit when you first unload. Like that's such a great touch that didn't even really need to be there. But, you know, getting to come off of a, a new train and and have a, a picture of Walt there and you step out into a gift shop at Disneyland where it's a it's a train shop. Like it's like it's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, there. I mean, have either of you been to Marceline? Not no, yet. no, okay. I really, I, it's on my, trust me, it's on my it's, list. I haven't gotten there it yet. Is one of, it, it was magical. Like it really, I was like, it, it, my, it made my, uh, my old podcast partner who is not a Disney person at all. Um, and he was like, okay, I, I get it. Like I, I see there, there's something really special and it's literally one tiny little road, but I get where the obsession with trains comes from because they are it's so tiny. And if you're on main street, they are passing constantly and they are so loud and you feel the whole place shake. Right. How can you not be fascinated by this giant vehicle? And not, I think that it goes from his hate of traffic later in life and seeing what will trains were the way to go. 
and hating traffic so much that I'm going to make a utopia and decide my own place to avoid traffic. But so much it goes from a train to different train-like vehicles. You know, everything is like a train-like vehicle in a way. The, the dune buggy's just yeah, we have the people mover, which I love the fact that the people mover is just an actual like transportation form in other places still called the people mover but we have made it an attraction we've made like a vehicle an attraction i think that is so cool yeah so many trains it's like the view liner the monorail the people mover roller coasters yeah it's all <laughs> all a bunch of trains yeah i so i went to in um Scottsdale, Arizona, a uh, a train park is called the the railroad park. Um, and sorry, the the McCormick Stillman Railroad Park. I was trying to remember what the name of it was. And there there actually was. I posted about it on Instagram. Uh, would have been almost a year now, year ago now. That uh, there is actually a connection to the McCormick Stillman Railroad Park and Walt Disney. Walt went to them, intending to actually by the railroad. But anyway, there's the reason I mentioned this is I actually went to that railroad park. It's still um, maintained. It's, it's obviously evolved a little bit, but it's small and charming. It's got a little carousel. It's got a railroad. Um, it has a, a railroad museum, but I ended up riding that railroad. Uh, it's like a $5 ticket or something for a little ride around the park. Exactly the same type of scale railroad that Walt built for his backyard and incredibly simple, but so much fun. Um, so I could just, you know, I felt that connection to Walt riding that railroad. There was nothing fancy. Like they went, it went through a tunnel. It was like so cool. It's like we just went, just the act of going through a tunnel was exciting and fun. It curved a little bit, so you didn't really see it was at the other end. Um, and now we think about how advanced attractions have become, and how exciting and dynamic, and how much fans insist on upping the ante when it comes to that excitement level like it's just not exciting enough it's got to have more 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 but when you bring it down to just its simplest form and just get on a railroad train in this little railroad park that's got nothing special to it um there's still something fun about it and there's something to be said about that not that I want to say, let's just go back to that. Obviously, new attractions are fantastic, but um, it all branches from this fundamental kinetic feeling of the excitement of not knowing where this train is going to go next, or you know, just kind of like watching the park go by as you're as you're riding. It's it's so there's something you know to use a, a Disney. Uh, a Disney term, something magical about it, um, about doing that. But yeah, so I, I felt that that fascination with trains. There is something intrinsically exciting about it. Yeah. Before an, we leave, oh please yeah. go. Oh, it's, yeah. There, there is an elegance in its simplicity. Like yes. it doesn't need to be a lot. Yes. Before we leave the train subject, <laughs> um, one of my Before we favorite. Disembark. Before we before we leave, um, I don't know if you've done an episode. I don't. I don't think I've seen it on. I, I you probably have. I don't know um, about Big Thunder. I haven't Big yet. Th okay, it turned into one of my absolute favorite historical 
like episodes I've ever done and the journey and I'm like there is so there's more lore on this attraction I swear to God. Welcome back to Imagination Central. As you disembark, please remember to remain fully seated until the podcast comes to a complete stop, then gather your belongings and watch your head and step as you exit. After you exit the episode, I encourage you to engage with the show by following Imagination Skyway on your favorite social media app. And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to share it with anyone who might enjoy our discussion today. And leave us a rating or review in your favorite podcast app if you love the show. If you're listening on Spotify or already following us on social media, be sure to answer our question associated with this episode, which is for you to tell me your favorite story about Walt Disney at Disneyland. In addition, be sure to explore Imagination Skyway on the Patreon app or at patreon.com, where you can enjoy bonus podcast episodes, on-demand scenic audio recorded at the parks, and even more content to enjoy, as well as a private community of listeners where we host weekly watch parties, small group video calls, and lots more fun. And speaking of extra content for you to enjoy, I just launched my second podcast. It's in no way going to impact the Imagination Skyway content you enjoy, but I hope will add to and create additional value for this Disney community. It is called Imagination Skyway News. You can find it at imaginationskyway.com. There I have a link for you there. Or simply head to Imagination Skyway News on your favorite podcast app. I also have a link from my Instagram page and announcements about the podcast in multiple social media platforms. But this is going to be short form podcast content where I will share the latest news about Disney in the most succinct way possible. And my hope is to do this with the highest degree of journalistic integrity by just sharing the facts and the news. There's going to be absolutely no clickbait. There's going to be no drama, no over-sensationalized opinions. It is just going to be a place for you to go in a short-form way to get the latest news about what's happening at Disney, at the Disney parks, with the films, with all other brands associated with Disney, and larger industry trends that might have an impact on Disney as a company. I hope you'll subscribe and follow us there. And I look forward to creating now two podcast communities. Last but not least, but I want to remind you that achieving your dreams all begins with some self-belief, a plan of action, and perhaps a bit of inspiration. It's all possible if you're willing to put in the time, the energy, and the work to make your dreams come to life. Thank you so much for riding aboard Imagination Skyway. And remember, if we can dream it, we can do it.